Well, good evening, at least on the West Coast of these United States of America. My name is Arthur Asadurian. As you can tell, I have Dr. Kurt Jarris with me. Um, how are you, Kurt? Thanks for jumping on here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Even though you were a week ahead of everyone else when I was talking to you, and I didn't even realize that. I know. When we were messaging, I was like, oh, yeah, good Friday. That's, I could make that work. You know, and it's like, wait. The eighth is a week. <laughs> so, so, so here's what's funny. I didn't read that as Good Friday, like is on the eighth. Yeah. I read it as Good Friday works for me. <laughs> <laughs> and when you said it uh, yesterday, I was like, wait, he he was talking about Good Friday, and you know, so um, commas can save lives, as as the joke goes, right? Like it's it's important, guys. Yep. Uh, my wife teaches English, and she's she's always about that. Like, hey, don't make those kinds of mistakes. I usually like when I send out my newsletters, I'll I'll write it out and then I'll reread it like three four times. English is a second language, everyone. I learned it when I was like twelve. So, uh, but uh, and then I'll send it out, and then my wife will be like, "Why didn't you give it this to me to read? You're like missing a comma here and this." I'm like, but I read it like four times. I can't believe I missed it. The fresh well, set of eyes can be helpful. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's very interesting how our minds kind of pay attention to certain things. Maybe we'll talk about that. Mm. Uh, that'd be a very interesting kind of psychological, philosophical analysis of sure. what we focus on and don't. Um, okay, let me just give an introduction. And as always, we're going we're gonna to ask our guest to share about his educational journey. Uh, Kurt's got a cool one because he's traveled quite a bit and, uh, and what that was like and life changes and had a, some advice on how to navigate uh, these things. So uh, Dr. Kurt Jarris is a theologian and apologist who's been creating resources for Christian and non-believers for five years. He's the host of Veracity Hill or the Veracity Hill podcast. And you can go to veracityhill.com. We'll have all of these in the description. Uh, there's the Veracity Hill uh, YouTube page. You guys should subscribe to and check out. And he's interviewed... I, I, about 200 episodes? Yeah, 200 uh, episodes on the nose. Yeah, and uh, and you stopped it and restarted it recently. So, yeah, well, it was a podcast. Veracity Hill got started as a podcast, and it was basically out of my spare bedroom when I started. And then, um, then eventually, uh, my wife and I had a couple young kids, and I just had to take it and, and the ministry work I've been doing sort of out of the house because I couldn't get my work done. Yeah. So then we rented a 500 square foot space and just sort of grew the podcast into that. If you go back to the old, some of the earliest episodes, you'll see like us live streaming with the Mevo cam and working on tech stuff. And then you just see over the years, literally years, four years, just the quality of the the improvements. It's, the it's always cool. I was actually looking at that on Mike Winger's channel. Like I was just observing the difference. <laughs> and so yeah. you give yourself grace when you see that. Uh, and you, you're like, okay, uh, there's always room to adjust and, and change stuff. Yep. Uh, so you live in Chicago. Yeah, the western suburbs. Uh, cool. I'm in a town called West Chicago. Okay, uh, which, is, which is still winter there. So, yeah, I mean, we're getting flurries and stuff with hail, and it's like a mix. And, yeah, yeah. I mean. I feel guilty, it's, man. I feel guilty. Uh, I told Kurt earlier. It's 99 degrees uh, right now on the yeah, west. Yeah, that's way too hot for April. I think I'd rather in, take in the, the 40s in Chicago. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I would probably too. Uh, but uh, you live in Chicago with your wife, Michaela, and um, you have children. How many children do you have? So now we have – that bio might need updating. We've got four kids now, uh, three daughters and a son, and the son is eight weeks old, something like that. Ooh. So, yeah, he's well, fresh. Congrats. Uh, Thanks. So if, if, if he says weird stuff, we'll just blame it on him not getting sleep. Um, four children. You got you got me there by one. Uh, that's good. Every time I talk to someone who's uh, – my buddy texted me and told me they're having their fifth. And uh, I look at my wife and I go, come on. And she's like uh, – <laughs> I come from a family of four boys. Okay, so yeah. I like big families. It's, they're awesome. It's chaos. It's like ordered chaos. It's amazing. Mm. Um, and you hold multiple graduate degrees in theology and apologetics. Received your doctorate from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. Your accent hasn't changed. Did you live in Scotland when you did this? So, no, it was online. Um, I did travel over a couple times. Um, 
but the especially with the UK style PhD where it's just research and writing, there's no courses. Um, the online, um, basically, the only requirement was that I would live close to a uh, a Christian college for use of their library. Yeah. Um, and even then, I with everything online. I mean, I was plucking dissertations online and printing them up. I've got a stack here on my shelf. I would because I didn't want to read dissertations on the computer. Yeah. Ice cream. So I would literally print up books uh, at my office here so I could read them. Um, but yeah, the, the digital world's amazing. Wow. And But you s did spend time in the UK. So I lived there for a year, yet when I did the Master's in Systematic Theology from King's College, London. And uh, that was awesome. It was our first year of marriage. So to live in London for a year, I mean, sort of how romantic. Uh, and it's super cheap to travel once you get over there. <laughs> and uh, so we would we would go and take some trips. I mean, sort of just side trips, you know. I uh, went to Ireland for three days wow, and cool. came back. And, you know, we did a... Um, a road trip of the UK. We took like, I think two weeks to do that. Uh, so yeah, it's just a great opportunity. Wow. I, I thought people who are in school aren't supposed to have a life. <laughs> yeah. Well, so sometimes the classes had like a week or two break or, uh, you know, where there's no classes. So, so uh, that, that's and, okay. So th this is exactly why I asked this question. It's like, you've navigated, you got, uh, you got two MAs, right? Yeah. Um, and, and a PhD. And I mean, this is rigorous work, man. Uh, I mean, right? Like, and like, how'd you navigate it? Newly married uh, on some of those and then children come along the way. Like, what are some tips you can give people? Like, it's sure. okay. Calm down. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, man, where to start? Uh, well, one of the things, so about having kids, let me talk about having kids. <laughs> um, having kids is great. Um, you know, uh, not just for the... Um, the continuation of society, um, but for the building of moral character for parents, uh, it really, um, you know, it does a lot for the individual. Um, one of the pieces of advice I had been given as an undergrad was to wait to have kids until I finish my grad studies. And I was told this by multiple professors, and I rejected all of their advice. Because I thought, you know, I don't want to wait in, this long. And in particular, I have some friends who waited and then struggled to uh, conceive. And so, you know, mm -hmm. I foresee that this was a problem or became a problem for some of my friends. And, um, you know, I think the scriptures talk differently about having kids when you're young and when you have the energy. Because uh, as you get older, you lose some of the energy. So all it's even harder, I would think, raising kids. Um, but yeah, and now, you know, I finished my PhD in 2020 and we had, you know, three kids and it's like, yeah, Hey, we're cranking along here. Um, so I, I would say my advice is don't wait, just make sure you can, uh, work it into life. Um, my PhD, how did I get that done? You know, working a job and having kids and all that. Well, I tell people, I mean, the vast majority of my PhD was completed between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm a night owl. Maybe someone's a morning bird. If they're a morning bird, I would just say, I would say, you know, wake up an extra hour or two earlier so you can. But basically, the world is quiet, right? That's when, so like Alistair McGrath, he's a morning bird. Boom, he cranks and does all of his work in the morning. He doesn't check emails. He just, that's the first thing he does. For me, I'm the opposite. So I'm like, so Craig Keener's a night owl like me. Sometimes he and I will be texting and it'll be like 1 a.m. <laughs> but yeah, so. That's how he does it. That's how he writes all those books. That's how he does it. He's just, and no one bothers him, right? You don't get emails in the night. You don't get, you know, text messages, except maybe from your, your friends. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, that's when my dissertation was written mostly. Uh, granted, I'd spend some afternoons at uh, Wheaton College. That was the institution I hmm. used. I used their library. Uh, bought a community pass. So there'd be some afternoons where I'd go and do writing and researching. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I made it work, especially at night because kids were asleep and the world's asleep and it's just me and John Cassian and Vincent of Lorenz and Faustus of Rees. And all the dead people. All the dead people, yeah. Yeah, well, at night, that's kind of weird. But um, <laughs> uh, look, uh, usually when people get PhDs in the States, they're, you know, they get some compensation because they're teaching as well. They're doing TAing, some some work yeah. in the university. 
but with the UK model, because it's all research and stuff like that, and you're here, you're doing it online. Yeah. I, I guess you don't have that opportunity to be teaching during that time. So how how did you navigate some some income stuff? Yeah. Uh, well, so I have a ministry uh, that I started called Defenders Media. Um, I was part of ministry before that, so I did some self supported, you know, apologetics fundraising. For some people who uh, aren't Christian and aren't familiar with this, I sort of say I'm a domestic missionary. Uh, you know, South Korea is sending missionaries here. Yes, we need um, it. Yeah, we need it. Exactly. So if you don't think this is a mission field, you know, uh, you're, you know, one is mistaken if they yes. think that. So, you know, I was, I've been doing fundraising uh, and then I picked up some side gigs. I taught part-time Bible uh, at a, a Christian school. I did substitute teaching. Uh, substitute teaching is great because most of the time, not always, but most of the time you just dish out the plans that the teacher gave, Hey, work on these assignments, whatever. And it's like a, a, a study hall or quiet time to do work. So while the students were doing their work, I could then do mine. So I would, I would get paid to sit at a desk and make sure kids were doing their work. Um, and you know, I'd get up and walk around and, and I could read and, and type and take notes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and another gig that I picked up for a season uh, was delivering lost luggage on the weekends, and I would do this at night. So it was only it was only a shorter season because my wife didn't like. I mean, I was out to like four in the morning delivering oh, wow. lost luggage from airlines that you know lost the luggage, and then I'd go and deliver it. Uh, so yeah, so I did that. Um, so yeah, there are ways of uh, bringing in the funds as needed. Uh, oh, that's so. cool, man. That's cool. So let's jump into the subject or the topic today. You. Uh, you made a video, or you made a series of videos, six of them. Yep. Right. Uh, about miscoding Bart, Bart Ehrman. And Bart Ehrman is a name that gets thrown around in apologetic circles all the time. Yes. Depending who you're hanging out with, it's going to be maybe positive, somewhat positive, neutral, and very negative. Right? Like, depending on what the quote is that we're talking about. Yeah, and um, and for those who don't know, Doctor Bart Ehrman, right? Um, professor at Chapel Hill, uh, New Testament guy, probably one of the best out there. Not a Christian, was a Christian, um, left the faith. Was a Christian of Christians. I mean, he went to Moody Bible Institute, yeah. and he got his bachelor's from Wheaton College. Studied uh, under uh, Bruce, Mes Bruce Metzger at Princeton. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, like this is, think. he's got serious, serious interaction with conservative evangelicalism. Oh, for sure. And yeah. And he considers himself to have been one. Yeah. Yeah. So he is agnostic atheist, depending how you want to define those terms. We won't get into that, but, um, he gets, again, uh, people quote him all the time. Oh, you know, he said this some, sometimes people quote him to go against him. Sometimes people will quote him and, uh, as as a support system, right? Like I've seen um, Gary Habermas actually say, hey, Bart Ehrman says, you know, these early, uh, say 1 Corinthians 15 is like anywhere from two weeks to two years. Like I've, I've heard that quote from. And so that's a supporting kind of thing. It's like, hey, this guy doesn't believe these things. He's not a Christian, doesn't believe in the resurrection, but here's, here's what he thinks on this subject. So you have made these videos and it's very unique because Kurt's come to Bart Ehrman's rescue of sorts. It's very interesting, right, that you who disagree with him have made a series of videos based on his book, Misquoting Jesus. Uh, and uh, and it's essentially like, hey, guys, stop misquoting Bart Ehrman. Uh, and here's what's going on. So tell us why you even kind of came up with the idea like, hey, this is a good one. Let's do this. Yeah, so just to give a little bit of background, I mean, perhaps like you or, you know, some of your listeners here, the way I was introduced to Bart Ehrman is that he's, you know, Christianity, Christianity's enemy number one. You know, Satan's number two, but Bart Ehrman's number one. Uh, <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, he was he is this real bad guy and, you know, we need to look out for him and here's where he's wrong. And typically the description, the way it was described is that, you know, Ehrman believes we, we can't know what the original writings of the New Testament said. And, uh, you know, it's riddled with errors. The transmission transmission process is riddled with errors, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so when I was bringing Veracity Hill back, I thought, you know, what? Well, I figured I'd start out with a bang, and I would I would take it to that enemy number one, Bart Ehrman, right? 
so I read Misquoting Jesus. You know, Bart's got other books, yeah. but this was this was the thing that put him on the map. Because of this book, he went on The Daily Show, and boom, the rest is history. So I read the book, and um, what I came away with and what I noticed is that what uh, evangelists and apologists have described as Ehrman's position was not the position that he takes in the book. Now, is it true that some of the statements he makes could be slightly exaggerated? Sure, I could say I could see that. Some some Christians have said that Ehrman doesn't nuance the differences between textual variance and manuscript and the manuscript tradition. That is not true. I mean, in the book itself, the next paragraph, he'll say some of these are so pointless and meaningless that it just shows that none of these scribes could spell check any more than we can spell check. And, and we've got spell checkers today and we still, right, right. You, and th this isn't, this is in reference to him um, talking about like, we don't have the copies. Uh, we don't even have the copies of the copies. And, and yeah, I just yeah, think there's a famous I, line in the yeah. introduction. Yeah. Well, he's, he says that quite a bit. I mean, in yes, debates, I've seen him. Yep. And look, I like Bart Ehrman because he's actually exciting to listen to. He is. Um, he's he's, in, he's an engaging sure. guy. Uh, he's definitely a brilliant guy. Um, like that's you got to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about exaggeration. Like he he's saying. I mean, I don't know whether I I would sit there and say, okay, wait, Bart, and I, I'll tell you why I'm saying this. But uh, you said we don't have the copies. We don't have the copies of the copies and the copies of the copies of the copies and the copies. By the way, we have that one. You like you know, it's we have the copies of the copies of the copies. I say that because I'm Armenian and we have pretty early <laughs> Armenian sure. manuscripts. Uh, but like he's very clearly kind of it's it's a rhetorical kind not rhetorical but oratory kind of um, brilliance you can say to get your attention to engage your audience to to yeah. exaggerate to make a point Jesus does this I mean if Jesus does so it I, I like to think of it you know when he's making those that statement and that's a very famous statement it comes from page 10 of the hardback um he, I think he's really targeting fundamentalist Christians who are unfamiliar with basic Christian tradition, basic Christian theology. I mean, because what he's saying, I mean, when you think about it, in its most rigid form, he's, he's right that we don't have the original manuscripts, right? Correct. So we, we can't know with 100% certainty, right? 100% certainty. So... Between his public talks and his writings, there's there's a distinction between what we can know reliably and what we can know with absolute certainty. And he, between his textbooks and even in, in the pop level works, he'll admit that we can know uh, that we can c a n can know what's in the originals. Um, it's just a matter of the, that degree of knowledge. But let me get back to the nuance thing here. So. Uh, you know, that famous paragraph where he talks about the copies of the copies, we don't have those. The very next paragraph, I'm going to read it straight out of the book. Most of these differences are completely immaterial and insignificant. A good portion of them simply show us that scribes in antiquity could spell no better than most people can today. And they didn't even have dictionaries, let alone spell check. Yeah. See, my paraphrase was pretty close. Yeah, hey, that was really good. Uh, so he, he continues on. But um, basically, yeah, he, he draws this nuance right away. But if you had read Timothy Paul Jones's book here uh, called Misquoting Truth, you never would have known that because the way Jones describes Ehrman, it's as if Ehrman never makes these qualifications and nuances. And so it was really an unfair treatment. Um, so, I mean, not only did I read Misquoting Jesus by Ehrman, but I started to read uh, review articles, uh, books. There were a couple books uh, people, Nick Perrin wrote a whole book in response to the book, and I'm not even sure Perrin had read Misquoting Jesus. I mean, like he was he was asked in the preface, he says he was asked by the publisher to write a book about the reliability of transmission and all that. And just reading some of Perrin's statements, I kind of, and he, you know, he's a he's a well published New Testament scholar, mm. but I just don't know if he had read Misquoting Jesus or if he did that he read it very closely. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean. Sort of what got me on this six-part video series was uh, looking at how Christians have unfairly treated Bart Ehrman's views. Um, so yeah, this ended up catching the attention of Bart, and um, he's been he's been sharing the videos. I mean, I guess we're done now. We finished maybe a week or two ago, 
he's so he shared all six at his website, and uh, he gave me uh, uh, a, a subscription, at w which was kind of him. So I've been on there commenting along with you know his followers, and a lot of folks appreciated some of the things I did. Some of them were going at me right away, you know, you know, how can you believe miracles exist, happen, and etc. So easily. If you have your assumptions in order, you, it's very easy to believe miracles happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah that's right. Um, but, okay, so, I mean, this is just generally coming. Look, you're an academic, right? I mean, you you write. I, I was at a paper that you presented. Phenomenal yep. paper, by the way. Um, uh, and, the Molinism uh, yeah. paper, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. very good paper. And um, you're an academic. And, and uh, I guess the, the the very least an academic can be asked is, hey, if you're going to cope me and if you're going to disagree with me, please cope me correctly. Like, just make sure you're doing justice to me, right? Is it out of that? Is it out of your Christian kind of charity where you're like, dude, this is God wants us to be honest, not just in business when we're, you know, you can lie to someone and steal money from them, but in when it comes to our intellect, like what's the driving force here? Or maybe yeah, all of it. I don't know. There are probably multiple factors. Um, I mean, one, just log logically speaking, an informal fallacy is creating a straw man. And so when we are saying that so-and-so believes X, but the person really believes Y, then we're not speaking the truth. I mean, we are, in a sense, I mean, think about the severity of this. We are bearing false witness when we mm. do that. Uh, so, you know, one of the, the Ten Commandments is not to bear false witness. So we should tell the truth. And um, so I want to be charitable in understanding people. Sometimes we can see that people are unclear with their language. So when I say that we should tell the truth, I don't want to be so rigid that uh, sometimes here's here's the other mistake that we see people make. I, I won't name names, but sometimes people will uh, accuse and start lobbying attacks because a person didn't say it just the right way that they would have said it, right? Yeah. Like there, there's a certain amount of charity required because human communication is so limited, yeah. you know. So even for this word know or knowledge, right, there are degrees. Now, are we going to take a pop-level book to try and break down the degrees of certainty? That's going to – you're going to lose your audience for a pop-level book. So Especially when the author that. has written uh, non pop level books, right? Like ac academic books. Then, then you can go and say, "Well, let's see what what's going on here in, in kind yep. of deeper." Yep, yep. Stuff. So, I mean, I certainly think it's appropriate for the author to clarify at a certain point, you know, what they actually believe. So, but that's that's up to them. So, at any rate, yeah, I think there are multiple factors. Just that we need to speak the truth. We should be charitable because limitations of human language. And we should seek to understand, especially non-believers, I think. I think we yeah. really should, um, if we want to win people over, right, we have to be gentle and kind. We have to um, bear the fruit of the Spirit. We need to be Jesus to them. And um, so sometimes I think that means, you know, doing the best in our interpretations and to ask clarifying questions. Yeah. So even, let me give an instance from the video series. Ehrman uses a couple pages to talk about his spiritual journey. And I know that at other times, other apologists have tried to analyze his journey and to say, well, it was because of the textual manuscripts why he left the faith. No, he doesn't say that. It's because of the problem of evil. Yeah. Um, but he does, the way he writes some sentences, it, uh, it, it can be confusing. So in the video series, in one of the, the parts uh, where I analyze these, you know, I, I qualify my statements. I even say, perhaps I'm mistaken, but here's how I took this, right? So there's room for me to be corrected. And in fact, Ehrman uh, not just has been sharing the, the six parts, but in, in this part, he wrote two blog posts uh, in mm -hmm. response. So in the first one, I, um, I accepted Bart's clarification and I appreciated <laughs> it. Um, it had to do with the, the doctrine of verbal plenary preservation the this idea that god if he inspires the text then he would preserve it throughout history so think king king james only types so i want to i want to talk about that because that's why i mentioned the psychology stuff kind of the stuff we pay attention to and how that can uh, move it we'll, we'll get there i want because I, I i like that um as to how people actually reason through these things as they come across yeah um new content 
So it's it's very interesting when it comes to like copy and, and I don't know what churches are preaching, generally speaking. Right. We'll get there. But um <clears throat> that's a follow-up question, sorts. Look, I, I suppose making these videos make you made you a bit uncomfortable. Because look, one of the things like um you you quoted Greg Coco. Um, yeah. and you're like, hey, you know, Greg, <laughs> you know, now we're right here, you know, and like, those are people, you know, uh, maybe other people don't know that, you know, these people, but I know, you know, these people and like, these are friends, these are colleagues in ministry and, you know, like in a very, uh, wide range, like we're all doing apologetics. We go to conferences together. Um, and it's like, what is that like, right? Like I'm going to make a video and then these guys who I love, who are maybe heroes, right? Like who, who helped me in my personal journey, uh, as a Christian, um, uh, like making a video saying, Oh yeah, you're not right on this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> there's certainly a question as to, you know, how much of this should be done privately Yes. and how much of it should be done publicly. I think because there's so much material out there on Ehrman and the material that's unfair to him on this issue. Don't get me wrong, Bart Ehrman, you know, he and I have disagreements. <clears throat> he rejects the uh, deity of Christ, right? Uh, so, you know, I'm not just trying to come to his complete defense here. But yes. on this particular issue, I think some Christian leaders have done a poor job. And there's, I think, a certain degree of public knowledge through video or podcast. Peter J. Williams was on a podcast, so I drew from there. Um, there's enough public knowledge that some of it's just fair game. Uh, I think it's it's fair game to discuss publicly right away. Of course, we want to do so with a, a good temperament. Um, you know, there's. I don't think anyone would say I come across bashing any of the guys that I, I brought not. up. Um, <laughs> so you know, there's there's a way about doing it. Sometimes it's just about how we conduct ourselves. Um, but yeah, so right, so Kokel was one of those examples I brought up, uh, and. Um, yeah, so there could be backlash. I, I had one buddy of mine, um, uh, one of my supporters. He he thought um, he thought I would I would lose some donors, maybe even over this, uh, lose subscribers. You know, even though my channel is kind of small. Um, but you know, I thought no, it's it's worth putting out there. It's important to move forward on this and to clarify. Lo and behold, this six part video series is now like more popular. It's one of the most popular series on my channel. Well, it's, it's uh, beautiful because beyond that, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's the, the cool stories are the stuff nobody sees, right? Or very few people. Like, yeah. you are directly interacting on Bart Ehrman's website with his followers uh, talking about these subjects. And I, I would assume a, a good amount of those people would be former Christians who've walked away, be, be, maybe, be, maybe even because of Bart Ehrman's work. Yeah, there were a number of stories in the comments of that. You know, people they would they would share about their journey. Some of them were even pastors. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's like these guys were in ministry and then they left the faith. Um, and um, I'm trying to recall if some of them said it explicitly because of Ehrman. I don't, I'm not sure I can remember. Yeah. Uh, well, I would assume I, there would I've be something in there. I mean, there are certainly more than a hundred people that I've been interacting with uh, over the course of the series. That's a great opportunity, is it not? Like, that's the thing, right? Like, you, you're being gracious to this guy. He's been gracious to you. He actually gave you a subscription, and now you interact with folks. Um, it's it's wonderful. So, um, there. So, there's a question here. Let me throw this question out there. Sure. Uh, this is my buddy Saad says, does Kurt have material that he's presented on the reliability of the New Testament that he can point us to, or what is his favorite material on the topic? Yeah, so <clears throat> I've got an, um, a video for uh, accessible, um, you know, Veracity Hill's tagline is disentangling complex theology. So while I am an academic, uh, I try to make a, a good chunk of my material very accessible. There's a video on my channel, Veracity Hill, uh, where I talk about the reliability of the New Testament. And so it's a two-part two video series I gave at a summer camp. And it's really simple material. So if you're a fan of Marvel, uh, the the Disney Plus show Loki, uh, we're introduced to the TVA, the Time Variance Authority. All right. So I use that acronym TVA, and I, I made the PowerPoint Loki themed, and we played some music. It was kind of fun for the the students. Um, but TVA, right? Transmission, verisimilitude. It looks like something that's true, right? And accounts of eyewitnesses. So transmission of the text, verisimilitude, 
accounts of eyewitnesses, TVA. So that's a very simple uh, way of, of grasping the reliability of, in particular, the New Testament. Um, and you can watch that video on my channel. So, okay. uh, Just because I think it's, it's related, what, what is your position on inerrancy is the question. Yeah, I affirm inerrancy. Um, there's a, a, a fierce debate as to the definition of inerrancy, what Correct. constitutes as an error. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe the question doesn't call for the long answer, but no, I do affirm inerrancy. And while some people may think, well, there's a historical error between these two authors, I, I tend to think that authors um, knew what they were writing and ha were intentional about what they wrote. They had their own purposes. So I think a doctrine of inerrancy, which... Uh, emphasizes the divine author at the expense of the human author is a weak view of inerrancy, uh, that there is a, um, a strong human aspect to the biblical text. And so to take out authors' personalities and their mm, intentions, yeah. um, you know, is part of a fuller sense of the doctrine. Yeah, like, like this view that they're kind of taken over and they're not thinking they're just writing well, or certainly, something. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly no dictate. Right. Right. We reject dictation except yeah. for, you know, some of the prophets. <clears throat> um, and uh, yeah, that's like a Islamic view of, you know, how the Quran was written, dictate yeah. these words. The scripture was not like that. Um, and uh, there were a variety of ways, uh, you know, that God spoke to people in the old Testament that the gospel authors were, um, uh, uh, reminded by the spirit uh, as to what to write uh, so yeah variety of means but it's both a divine and a human text so the question is about that human aspect did the humans make a mistake now there are some some people who some christians who deny in uh, inerrancy and they're willing to grant yeah there are errors here but it's still reliable enough mm. if i'm talking to an atheist i would not bring up inerrancy because it might send off triggers of fundamentalist Christianity, and especially because my view is a bit more nuanced than others. Um, I would just, you want to get someone to affirm reliability, and that'll move them closer. Uh, so just demonstrate how the, the Gospels are reliable, and and you're on your way. So hmm. that's Very that's good. how you want to reach people. Yeah, because, because not everyone's at the same place, and not everyone can even... That doesn't even have the capacity, you can say, like the groundwork to have certain sorts of conversations. Now, I, I include yeah. Christians in this. Like sometimes Christians will say stuff, and then I'm like, right? Like, I, <laughs> not they're not that they're wrong. <laughs> not no, well, not that they're wrong, but I'm just like, man, there's like four different views of that amongst Christians. I'll give you something that I personally like. That's a lot. That's a personal passion of mine. I, I enjoy reading is is God's relationship with time. Right. And very often I hear pastors and just Christians generally saying something like, oh, God is holy outside of time and time and space. He's separate from it. That's not a view I hold to, by the way. I think God is in time. I actually tend to think time's always existed, uh, which would be different than something like what William Lane Craig would affirm. Yeah, um, Craig and Moreland say that God created the lake and jumped in. Yeah. So I, I think time is like necessitated but by god's like trinitarian relationship but whatever let's just say i'm wrong i, I could be wrong trust me i don't want to debate those guys on that um, uh, but like sometimes when i hear those comments and then i'm like you know i can really go after this and say not all christians agree but i'm like they don't have the groundwork like i've had i've been privileged to study with some folks and read some books and stuff maybe this guy's like been a christian for like six months I'm not going to throw this subject on him. I'm just going to be like, okay, man, cool. That's a view. People believe it. You know, when, when the time comes, we can have those kinds of uh, conversations. And I think when it comes to reliability, things like creation and evolution, I, I would put those in those categories as well. It's like, do I really want to have this conversation or do I want to introduce this person to Jesus? Then we can have those conversations sure. because then we're talking about scripture. So this there's something you mentioned, and then you said KJV only is. We'll go back to the questions uh, in a little bit. This view that it, it seems to me that Bart Ehrman used to hold to when he was a Christian, 
that if God um, inspired the scriptures, then somehow he's obligated to, um, maybe that's not the right word, uh, to preserve it, which, which to me sounds a lot like an argument that Muslims give, at least about the Quran. Yeah, that's Um, right. Which then is a contradiction because they also affirm that at one point God, uh, you know, inspired the Old Testament and the New Testament, but he didn't preserve it, like changed. So that's their issue. They got to deal with that. So explain that a bit and how that works into him saying, well, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Well, so uh, Alvin Planning is a Christian philosopher. He's retired now, um, still living. And uh, his his writing is very much how he speaks. And, you know, whenever someone, uh, whenever someone can present two propositions, which may not seem connected, Plantinga has this great statement or question. He says, well, why think that? <laughs> so why should we think that if God inspires a text that he would then preserve the original you know perfectly throughout all of time Hmm. i mean just why why should we think that i mean why not think that there could be a number of human uh mistakes slips of the pen uh that occur through the transmission process uh and so something gets messed up i mean and so yeah imperfections happen it doesn't mean we can't have this knowledge, this certain That's level right. of knowledge about the originals. So I just don't see good reason for thinking that uh, the New Testament documents themselves or good theological arguments uh, lend to the position that uh, to verbal plenary preservation, that God would inspire the preservation of the text throughout all of time. Well, it's, it uh, seems to me that it's, it's pretty clear that we have ports, portions of the Bible in totality, right? Uh, especially in the Old Testament where there's discrepancies where you're getting numbers that are talking about the same event and the same amount of uh, it's talking about those soldiers and it's two different amounts yeah, there, there are issues where <clears throat> scholars and conservative evangelical scholars believe that e- even though there is no manuscript tradition to demonstrate uh, a variant they believe through internal arguments that there are uh, that there's a, a mistake in the text that we have today so they use good reasoning. I mean, not that I may agree with them, but they use good reasoning to demonstrate based on internal arguments, hey, this looks like a textual mistake and we think it belongs you know, here or elsewhere yeah. or later on uh, because it just doesn't fit. Paul jumps from one concept to another really quickly and actually he covers it over here. So maybe that initially belonged there. So we may not have that 100% certainty uh, again, but we can have reliable certainty of the text. So would, this might be leading us a little astray, uh, but it seems to me that this would be the sort of argument, like if you don't have 100% certainty, like more of an epistemological question, then you can't believe something, which just sounds very silly to me. Right, Right, of course. We don't operate our, I mean, just functionally speaking... We don't operate our lives on having 100% certainty. I mean, when you drive to the grocery store, you're not 100% certain that you'll make it home, but you still drive to the grocery store. Yeah. You drive. People drive every day. They ride their bikes every day. They walk every day. They live in their homes where they could be uh, an asteroid could fly through their uh, you know, roof or an airplane crashes. I mean, of course, we don't have 100% certainty on these things, but we still operate our lives, and we hold our beliefs in accordance with the probabilities uh, that we're not going to be struck by an asteroid, that we won't get into a car accident. That's why we go and do it. So likewise, when we study history, we have probabilities. We It's sort of like calculated risk, right? We have these probabilities with which we evaluate historical events. And so when we uh, look at, at Jesus uh, and the Gospels and the events surrounding his death and uh, resurrection, we look at uh, this, these historical facts uh, and we say, what's the best argument? The best uh, argument to the best explanation is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So we, we make this prob- a probabilistic claim that, and, and I'll say this, this might be a little provocative, that even if I'm wrong on my Christian belief, I'm warranted in my belief, right? I have enough reason to justify Correct. my belief 
that even if I'm wrong, I'm holding the belief I should hold given the evidence. Correct. Uh, so I think that's what people need to do. Uh, now, that's only pro uh, provocative to folks who aren't really understanding what you're saying, by the way. <laughs> right, right. Well, well, yeah. I mean, some people, if we, if, here's the hypothetical, if we literally discovered the bones of Jesus, there would still be people who think he rose from the dead. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's kind of like, wait a second. Uh, no, it doesn't make sense. Right. But like, but, and of, of course, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, right, he says, if, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, our faith's in vain. We call God a liar. So it's like, you would think that. Look what Paul says. He would give it up in a heartbeat. <laughs> that's, that's interesting, right? It's funny to me that it, it tends to be people, uh, from what I've seen at least, uh, people on the liberal side, theologically liberal side of things who are like, no, even if we found the bones of Jesus, I'd still believe in it because Christianity is kind of like, it's the, it's the message, not like the reality, not the truth of it, you know? Right, like, right. So yeah. they're not concerned about truth in that sense. They're more concerned well, so about I mean, like you, your experience of it. Yeah, yeah, you'd get that on both sides. So with the theologically liberal social gospel stuff, right? It helps people. It's nice. It's all, it's all good. I mean, but that's a social club, right? I mean, the, Elk, the Elks Lodge or the Freemasons can help people too. Yeah. Um, uh, but also then on the conservative side, I think what you get is just people who are insecure about their beliefs. They they don't have a good grounded faith, so they would just hold on to it tightly as this cultural, a conservative cultural phenomenon, and uh, they wouldn't want to give it up. So, you know, for some people, their Christian belief is very much ingrained in their culture. And so it's like, you know, I would never give up being a Cubs fan, uh, no matter what city I lived in. And I, I would just always be a Cubs fan and be part of my life uh, in the same way that some very poorly grounded conservative Christians would just never give up Christianity. Hmm. Yeah. And I suppose that might be the reason and the fear, I would say, of someone like Bart Ehrman. Like, don't let your kids read Bart Ehrman. I'm yeah. like, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I can't wait till my son's like 14 so I can hand him a book by Bart Ehrman. But yeah. uh, right, like, I want to expose him to this stuff. But there's a fear of like, if you get exposed to this sort of information, yeah. then you're you're gonna leave the faith and you know you're you're not gonna. I really. I, I say that by the way, as because you're someone who was like born and raised in the church. You, you you've you've been a church boy, Sunday school kid, like all that. Yeah, but my dad didn't let me read Harry Potter when I was a kid. Okay. So, like, <clears throat> I, I think a lot of what we're seeing, uh, um, I mean, there's a decent chunk of what we're seeing in society today is the result of Christian parents trying to isolate their children from, um, from things which they shouldn't have been isolated from, uh -huh. right? Uh, a kid is not going to read Harry Potter and all of a sudden want to join a Wiccan cult, right? I mean, and even if they showed some interest in it, it's probably done in the context of playtime, yeah. right? Uh, so a parent, I think, should let their kids read these the children books and then talk about them, you know? Um, so yeah. Sean McDowell's done this with his, uh, uh, his, his son where he – I was watching a video where he was explaining this where – he basically said, yeah, I'll pay for you to go see the movie, but then we're going to talk about it afterward, right? I mean, that's that's the way to do it, right? Is, you know, you're still spending that parent-child time and you're uh, analyzing it and digesting it. And, of course, the kid later on is going to appreciate the time that he spent with Absolutely. dad. Uh, Absolutely. So, but just to say, no, you can't see that, period. You know, it's not good for you, period. Go do something else. I'm not sure that was the best tactic. But that, then, then that bleeds into like when this individual becomes 17, 18, 19, 20 um, and they're introduced to someone like Bart Ehrman or when they're introduced, like I know someone who was at our church. <clears throat> I was a fairly new Christian, but I'd started Bible college. Uh, and this individual went to a uh, um, to university and took a Bible as literature class. And then they were introduced to the multiple authorships view of Genesis. And it like rocked their entire world. So did they buy into the conspiracy theory of JEDP? Uh, well, they essentially walked away from the faith. I mean, but yeah. that was that was the bomb. Like that was the nuke. In my mind, like I think they should have been introduced to alternate views in the church. Sure. Well, so in that sense, the church did not do a good enough job preparing them. Yeah. Uh, and so, so the question well, comes down to like whether whether. You know, youth groups should have Bart Ehrman book clubs. 
and and read like again in in a context of like let's figure out what he's trying to say what are the things he's saying right give him credit where credit is due yeah. and then what are we disagreeing on and why are we disagreeing on these points well i mean there's a number of reasons why why we've we've come here uh to this point you know one of those is youth pastors for a long time have just been trying to babysit and entertain kids instead of preparing them that's one number two is when's the last time you went to a church that had a library that had books you know i i know churches that have gotten rid of their libraries and you're just like what you know uh western civilization has survived because of the work of Christian monks who held on to texts. Uh, and when, when cities were being sacked and plundered, the monks were the ones who preserved the texts. Uh, wow. So it's like, why can't we be preserving the text, preserving and passing on knowledge in our Christian churches? So th that's another symptom. Uh, so getting butts in the pew is another symptom. So, you know, yeah, uh, we're it's trying to make... An, you know, Sunday mornings are more like entertainment. They're like Christian rock concerts. I mean, I've got so much more I could say on this, but uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, here's a here's a question. I think this has to do with some of your academic work uh, okay. a little bit. But it says, do you ever find yourself having a disconnect with other Christians because of the amount of de of in depth academic work you have done? How do you bridge the gap or that gap? Uh, I understand that not everyone's like me. I like to go deep on issues. Um, and that's why, you know, our tour, we, we see each other roughly once a year. I try to go now every year to the annual conference of the uh, Evangelical Theological Society and Philosophical Societies. That's where us nerds can hang out yeah. and do that stuff. And, you know, we've maybe we've got friends uh, locally that we talk to, you know, our little groups. But, yeah, I mean, my small group for my church, these people are not theologians. They, you know. Uh, they don't go deep. They don't have the time to. They've got their, their normal jobs, normal American Christians. And so I understand that. And, you know, I just try to make the content accessible. I try talking about it without going crazy deep. Um, so, and, and you can teach basic things. You can use simple analogies to demonstrate points. Like uh, when you were talking about God and time, and I said William Lane Craig and Moreland's views that God created the lake and jumped jump in, in it, yeah. right? That's a very basic way to describe to someone who's having trouble thinking about God and time. You know, how, how does that work? How does God relate to time? Well, here's a Craig and Moreland's view. So people can understand that. They can understand how a lake is created and then someone jumps in and, and then they're in the lake, you know. Um, so I, I would say that's um, – I try to find ways to connect with other Christians. Um, but – I also don't want to, I can tell when maybe I'm going too far with someone, you know, and, um, and also talk about other things with people. They want yeah, like to talk the Cubs. About how the Cubs are in first place <laughs> in the NL Central. Uh, some people, they want to talk about the weather. I know this stuff's basic, but <laughs> sometimes people want the small talk before they're ready for the l large talk. Uh, so that's on us to relate to people in the ways that they um, should be related. So you get invited to like a bunch of youth conferences um, and, you know, you, you talk to young people quite often. Uh, not as often as uh, Tim Barnett, my friend. He's he's around all the time. He's he's something else, bro. He's 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 a different machine. More of my youth speaking has been local to youth groups and uh, Christian camp in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm only about 90 minutes away yeah. from Wisconsin. So, OK, so here's a question. How do you encourage younger believers to go deeper? Not necessarily academically, yeah, but at least have a good intellectual understanding at a lay level. Yeah, great question. Very good question. So youth and even adults are biblically illiterate. I mean, the studies show this. Um, you know, if you, you were to ask people what's the Trinity, uh, I mean, they just don't know. I mean, um, so it's, it's bad news. Okay, so what, what can we do? Well, one of the things I'm trying to do right now is uh, I just started a few weeks ago at Veracity Hill, these animated videos. Called I Dr. love them. A. By the way, I love them, man. Thanks, yeah, yeah. So they're these real short 60 seconds. They're 60 seconds on purpose because we're uploading them to YouTube as YouTube Shorts. So YouTube Shorts is the way that YouTube's trying to compete against uh, TikTok. So we, we upload these to our, our channels there as these shorts, and they're animated. Uh, and it's so it's me answering teenagers' questions. And... Um, 
some of the questions are outrageous. So we, we took questions on note cards and there was no way to answer all of them. So, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to make some videos. Now I know I was a little late cause this was actually back in the summer. Mm. Um, but, uh, one of the guys here on staff at Defenders Media has done some animation stuff. We actually have two guys, but one guy in particular is on this project. Um, and uh, so he's the one doing the animation work. And uh, so I come up with the script. I record. Sometimes I screw up. I got to re-record and whatnot. So we're putting out one a week um, and uh, trying to reach youth on the platforms that they're on, on the devices that they have, and uh, really just gearing towards that target audience Um because uh, these these answers, uh, they're not super deep. I mean, if you were to watch them, Arturo, you'd say, oh, this is so basic. Well, yeah, of course, it's, it's super basic stuff. But I'm not trying to reach you, right? I'm, tr- I'm trying to reach the guy, the, the guy or gal who's in high school and um, maybe goes to a youth group, maybe doesn't, um, and has some questions about Christianity. And so just trying to answer basic questions, you know, how do I know I'm saved? Uh, how's the Bible reliable? Why does God allow evil? Is my gay cousin going to hell? I mean, those sorts of questions, you know, mm. there's a very good one that I'll probably take up here soon in the next coming weeks is how can I be nice to my enemies? Oh man, there's some, so there's an answer there for adults for sure. Oh yeah. Um, so just very basic questions about the Christian faith and the Christian walk. And, uh, but they're cool cause they're animated. It's something different. It's not just me talking to a camera. Uh, yeah. So a little bit more fun. I suppose one of the things I would say, and, that's, and maybe I see this more because I'm a dad of my son just turned eight, and I, around his birthday I was thinking I was like, man, like four years time, this guy's gonna be a teenager, like, and my father-in-law driving soon, then he's gonna yeah. go off to college. Yeah, boom, it'll be over before you know. <laughs> I, my my oldest is eight, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, him. and I was talking to my father-in-law, and then I told him, I can't believe he's gonna be like 12, and he's like, get ready, it's gonna get hard, and you know, he has a son, and so, um, he's like, you're gonna have a lot of work to do. But one of the cool things about having children is that you get to have a good amount of time with them to nurture kind of intellectual curiosity. Right, like every time I take my son to soccer, every time we go somewhere, I'm engaging him, I'm asking him questions, his yep. thoughts and stuff like that. I suppose to, to go to Saad's question here, in the church, we don't have that much time with people. Like, so you get like a 16, 17 year old, 15 year old coming, you see him two hours a week. Um, you're not really engaging. But what I would say is personal discipleship time and then trying to cultivate curiosity. Once that once they bite, not everyone might bite. I'm convinced yep. of that. But once the individual kind of bites and says, "Whoa, this I'm, I, curiosity's kind of been built up," dude, it's like an avalanche. Like <laughs> just like you know, it becomes a lot easier. But I, I think it's developing that in a in a personal discipleship kind of setting. And I think every single one of us, if we think back in our lives, we realize there's probably a moment where somebody or some event. Uh, took place where our curiosity kind of was sparked and we're like oh man i'm seriously interested in this subject now right yeah and i've tried to um i've tried to get some adults to think about this concept you mentioned you know you've got two hours a week um and i don't know if it's the older generation maybe because cable television was sort of the new thing like maybe you and i are on our ipads because that's our you know generation's tech device but i've used this example that you know, they'll sit in church for an hour and listen to the pastor speak for 30, maybe 45 minutes on a sermon, but they'll listen to Tucker Carlson five nights a week for an hour. So Tucker Carlson is discipling them on political issues for five hours a week. They're, they're being discipled more by Tucker Carlson than their own pastor. Yeah. Now, of course, I'm not, I'm not telling people to, you know, be pastored by their local pastor five hours a, a week. I mean, not that there'd be anything wrong with that, but what I'm suggesting is, you know, moderation in in who you are listening to. Maybe you should listen to some other podcasts or read some books, um, and uh, also to broaden our horizons, read outside of our circles that we identify with. So that can be uh, really helpful for understanding other people, other beliefs, and um, yeah. So, it, but it is a problem that we have only so little time. How can we reach people? And uh, that's a good point. You said sort of get them to bite, give them enough material. Um, but also, 
you know, some people won't bite, as you said. So yeah, that's 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 good. Well, the, the, we just, look, it settles my heart that I know when Jesus preached, there was people that didn't want to listen to him. So yeah, there you go. I'm cool with preaching and people not wanting to listen to me. Like they yeah. want to listen to Jesus. It's a, it's always going to happen. Not everybody. Yeah, he wanted. said the world's going to hate you. So you know yeah. you're not going to win everybody over. Uh, so. Yeah, not everyone's going to be interested in that. Not, not everybody wants to pursue that, obviously. But, okay, so as we come to the end, how, how can we do a better job? Going back to this whole conversation with Bart Ehrman. Yeah. How can we do a better job? A while ago, I was watching Sean McDowell, and he... I purchased this book, but I haven't read it. Um, the book is about basically manuscript evidence, right? Like, so when Christians are saying, oh, there's like 4,000 of these manuscripts, and compared to, say, like... Plato's writings there's this many and the book is essentially saying that's not always the case because these things are changing they're they're not as like uh, solid in rock kind of stuff um we discover more stuff there's things that we were like yeah, yeah they were it but they're not it of homer were discovered yeah, yeah so yep so because of that uh how can we as christians as uh, i don't just want to say as like apologists just christians how can we do a better job and be more gracious in interacting with people who completely disagree with us, um, but yet not be like swayed into their camp because they're really good talkers, they're, you know, whatever, like they got convincing stuff they're saying. So the goal is to win people over. Uh, and the question is, how do you do that? And some people require different approaches. But I think just blasting them and attacking them, I mean, in a worst-case scenario where you're, you're calling names, you know, that's not going to win them over. Uh, in a scenario where you're aggressive and, um, you know, with someone who's a peer, right, that doesn't work. Uh, and even with someone who's younger, that might not work. The sort of shame tactic, that might not mm. work. Uh, so we need to be shrewd about how we're reaching people and bringing them one step over to the next right so let me give an example there's one guy i'm facebook friends with he's an ardent atheist uh i had an opportunity to meet him not that long ago uh in person so that was fun <clears throat> but i would see this is years ago i would see him bashing christians saying all sorts of things online and i would uh i would sort of engage with him and now through the course of many years and some conversations here and there uh you know i don't see him at least saying as outlandish things as provocative things so uh in a sense i'd like to think that our conversations have led him to realize oh there are some thoughtful christians out there and oh what kurt believes is different than what i rejected you know x amount of years ago yeah. so there's a there's certainly a social benefit that others won't hear what he's said in those provocative aggressive terms but he's he's moved one one point over on the angle scale uh i don't know if you're familiar with the angle scale but basically if you want to reach people for christ if they're at you know a negative 10 on this scale and there's like labels and descriptions for these you can look it up online you you don't want to talk to them as if they're at a positive four right you want to get them to negative nine and negative eight just slowly step by step get them over and you know hopefully one day boom they'll make that commitment uh, but it could be years of work, years of fruit uh, for that to be the case. So when I was a kid, uh, I would talk to some guys at school and, you know, I didn't know it, but it was only years later, you know, that I see now that they're Christians, they're believers. And uh, some of them have told me that it was because of our conversations when we were kids, which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I know one guy who's a devoted believer. Uh, his family's more nominal, but he's a devoted believer now. And, uh, you know. It's you just never know. Uh, yeah. So, so finally, uh, this is we got to be careful here. Uh, I, I know the question I'm going to be asking is a bit sensitive um, because I've we're going to be. It's, I've got thick skin. So. so yeah. So well, no, analyzing someone's intention or kind of what they were thinking, and I, I know a great deal of stuff like this has been done with Bart Ehrman. Uh, like, look, Bart Ehrman rejects Christianity essentially because of the problem of evil, not because of textual stuff. He's spoken about that. We know that. But then people will see like, uh, yeah, but there's, you know, this, that. They try to assign motive when he hasn't actually communicated that stuff. Yeah. But I'm trying to kind of make 
this uh, connection in someone's mind. If I hold to a view, for example, like, um, let's just say I hold to like a King James only view, right? And then at one point I discover that everything I put my hope in, this, this view, this incorrect view, collapses. It's not only that view that collapses, everything else collapses with it. I might like not trust my pastors because they were the ones who taught me this. Then I might not trust the church because they were, you know, supporting the pastors. Then it's like, well, then can I trust anyone? That This is how we see people deconstructing. This is essentially what's going on in yeah. a number of people, high profile people we've seen where they held these views. And I'm like, why did you hold that view? Like, it's not so unnecessary. But then it's like, once the dominoes fell, it's like no stopping it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to kind of connect out to this view that Bart Ehrman had that it somehow necessitates for God to preserve the text and whether him giving that view up was this domino effect that took place. I mean, in your analysis, do you think this actually this is what happened? Yeah. yeah. So let me just clarify one thing. So Ehrman <clears throat> never held a conscious belief in the, the preservation doctrine. OK. Um, but in misquoting Jesus, he does use it as sort of um, uh, a logical moment in his thinking. And so this was the one thing I wanted to critique in which I don't think his second blog post sufficiently answered. Um, and so I had even commented, you know, I'd have to go back and see if he responded. Um, but I wasn't satisfied with his reply. I think he sort of dodged the question. Um, so, yeah, but so for some people, they might have, uh, you know, what I think for Ehrman was a logical misstep. Uh, in the same way that with some of these people, regardless of if it's VPP or if it's inerrancy or young earth or whatever, you know, doctrine it might be, we shouldn't overemphasize non-essential Christian doctrine. There are, there are essential Christian doctrines, then there's non-essential, there's secondary yeah. or tertiary doctrines. And sometimes people will take those tertiary doctrines as if it is, you know, the core of Christianity. You see this with young earth creationism. So I, I don't know what you hold, and I don't know what some of your listeners hold, but what I'm critiquing here is a priority problem. Yes. People will say, if you deny young earth creationism, you deny scripture, you deny inerrancy, you deny... It's like, boom, it's this domino effect. But these these are non sequiturs. Uh, you know, a non sequitur is once when something does not follow from another thing. And... Uh, so it's really just this misplaced priority. And so yeah. for some people, I'm not saying this is the case with Ehrman, with some people it's a house of cards that comes falling down uh, because their their belief, their Christian belief was built upon a poor foundation. And, you know, just like that house of cards, it's just teeters yeah. over and boom, it all falls apart. All yeah, it doesn't even down. have to be Christian. This is just the, when it comes to beliefs generally. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like uh, when I was in Armenia, I got to meet a, a lot of Iranians. My my wife is fluent in Farsi. She was she was born in Iran and she, she's Armenian from Iran. And uh, we got to meet a lot of Iranians in churches and outside of church and just like dialoguing with them through a translator. But um, one of the things I realized is that because they had a bad experience with Islam and the religiosity of Islam. They give up on religion altogether. It's all of it goes. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of them, this is the this is the scary part as a Christian. Some of them had actually said they're becoming Christians, but the Christianity they kind of wanted to have was this like complete freedom. Yeah. Like no moral kind of standards. And then I was like, well, hang on here. You realize Christianity has like moral standards. Like if if the Muslim is telling you you can't cheat on your spouse, the Christian is telling you you can't cheat on your spouse. It, <laughs> it doesn't change. <laughs> you know, you become yeah. a Christian. It's like, oh, now I can do this. Yeah. But I saw some of this. Um, they had just given it up. So you have to kind of bring them back in, reel them back in and say, wait, hang on. Give up the stuff that's necessary for you to give up. Um, but again, it's because they had put in their hope in certain things uh, that weren't f foundational things to put their hopes on. Um, as we end, here's a question here, and because I want to send them to a debate that you've done that I enjoyed a great deal because I like you and him. Um, so any chance we'll see Kurt debate anyone on this stuff? This stuff is a big category, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, do you have any debates coming up? Anything in? Uh, I've got nothing scheduled. Uh, I've taken a part in a few debates. Uh, one was a YouTube video debate uh, against Doug Wilson on "Does God Decree All Evil?" That, that was, was a good uh, one. That was fun. Yeah, it's one of um, Marlin's most watched uh, debates. So I'm um, really pleased by it. We had some video tech problems, so that my coloring was a little off in that. Um, we were trying to use our professional camera, and the uh, converter just wasn't playing ah. nice. Uh, so we won't make that mistake again. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was a fun debate. Look, and it was great. It's very friendly debate. I've wa I've watched it multiple times, by the way. Very friendly. Um, One thing I tell people, even Calvinists, and and seriously, I I say, does Wilson respond to any of my arguments? If you're going to score a debate. There's there's a reply to arguments, right? Keep an ear out. I've had multiple Calvinists email me after I've told this. You're, they say you're right. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. But it's it's now, friend. Look, I listen. I listen to Doug Wilson. Methodology and yeah, it's it's a fun debate. I'm I listen to Doug Wilson. I like his political commentary quite a bit. I'm theologically, uh, you know, some some stuff I'm I'm okay with him on, but uh, like I disagree with him on a bunch of stuff. But I think it's a it's a gracious debate. It's a cool cool debate between Christians because sometimes some of these issues become like very um, I don't know like hostile where it's like you're not a Christian you know <laughs> like uh, and 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 we don't we don't want to do that um, and so uh, it's a great debate and uh, if you have stuff coming up let us know we'll we'll post it up and um, and and have people check that out again whatever yeah. Kurt is doing is going to be in the description box. Like I'm gonna try to put as much stuff from him in the description box. Go subscribe to his channel. Listen to the podcast. There's 200 of them, man. Like, it's quite a bit of content. There. Yeah, a lot of material. A lot of material uh, for people to consume. So, well, appreciate, uh, man. I appreciate you taking the the time out of your day uh, to to have this talk. Yeah, thanks, Arthur. It's been a lot of fun. Anytime. Awesome, awesome. So, everybody else, uh, I want to thank you guys. God bless you. Uh, if you're watching the replay, thank you. You are a, a champion for watching replays like that. And uh, hopefully you probably watched it on like 1.5 the speed. That's what I do. Uh, and uh, I will see you guys next time. Make sure, again, you subscribe to our channel. Go subscribe to Kurt's channel. Uh, just support all the ministry all of us are doing because all of us have the same heart. All of us want people to come to know Jesus. So the more this stuff gets spread out, the better it is for the kingdom of God because that's where our heart is. That's where our interests are. Take care. God bless you guys, and I will see you next time.